Grab your Bibles, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Well, congratulations everyone. We have officially made it to the Christmas season. We have finally arrived. It's time to start decorating your trees. It's time to start blasting the Christmas music. It's time to break out those ugly Christmas sweaters that you've been dying to wear since about August. And though I must admit, uh, our tree went up, what, a few days before Thanksgiving, so I, I broke my own rule in not wanting to, to decorate before Thanksgiving. But we have arrived. It is the 1st of December. It is Advent, and it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And we're going to be, be doing something a, a little different this year at North Roanoke for the Advent season. Instead of uh, of going through some of the more familiar passages that we generally hear during the Christmas season, or, or even doing a series through a book of the Bible, such as Ruth that we did last year with connections to Christmas. Uh, for this Advent season, we're going to be looking at the story of Christmas from a variety of perspectives, from a variety of, of texts in the Bible that often are not necessarily associated with the Christmas season. And along with the, the variety of texts, we're also going to be hearing from uh, everyone on the, the pastoral team. So I'm, I'm preaching this morning. Daniel will be sharing as well, and Pastor Hope will also be preaching during the Advent season. So uh, along with a variety of texts, you will hear from a variety of preachers as well. But before our sermon this morning... I've chosen John chapter 1. It's a, it's a familiar passage, but it's one that's not often associated with the Christmas season. And my hope in, in choosing this passage is that, that we, both as, as individuals and as a church as a whole, will not forget who it was that was born on the first Christmas. We can become so accustomed to seeing the nativity scene on billboards and, and signs that we often forget who the baby was. And of course, we all, we all nod to this. After all, it, it wasn't just an ordinary baby. We understand this. We know this. The baby was, was Jesus. Jesus was the one born in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And, and many of you could, could quote me the entire narrative from Luke, that entire story that you've heard so much. And that's, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad you know the spectacular story of the birth of our Savior. However, it, it's crucial for us that we not allow our familiarity to become complacency about our Savior. And so it's good to, to pause and to come face to face with the true identity of this baby, this child, is God. We celebrate Christmas because God was born. We celebrate because the Creator came to us. We celebrate because of who this baby is. So today my, my goal is to, to move us away from the, the cute scenes that we, we love and we treasure and bring us before the living God who came to rescue and to redeem us. So hopefully by now you are, you are in John chapter 1 in your Bibles. So hear now the word of the Lord. 
John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people. And Lord, I pray as we move into the preaching of your word that you would speak for the glory of Christ. You would help us to come face to face with who this baby is, the word made flesh. May we leave transformed because of it because of Christ. All for your glory and through your enablement, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, why would, why would John begin his book this way? Have you ever stopped to, to think about that? Why would John introduce his book in this fashion with beginning at the beginning? Why would he introduce it this way? Matthew begins, if you'll remember in Matthew chapter 1, he begins the book of the genealogy of of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mark begins with the the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And along with these two, Luke begins with, with stating his overall purpose in writing the book, which is to, in his words, write an orderly account so that Theophilus might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So in each of these cases, the author begins his gospel with a type of introductory statement. Each author seeks to to introduce the story before diving into the story. It may be a sentence, it may be a paragraph of purpose, but in any case... Each provides an introduction that is meant to to set up the remainder of the book. John is is not like that. John starts with theology. Moeller makes the comment, he he describes it as John just, just walking in and kind of setting off the bomb. Just boom, here it is. Here he is. But but why would he do this? Why would he do this? Since, according to, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, the, the Holy Spirit is the, the author of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit carries them along, there must be a purpose behind it. And the purpose is found, actually, at the end of John's Gospel. In John chapter 20, and verse 31. You can, you can turn there, if you're taking notes, jot this down, because we're going to refer to it. Uh, a few more times throughout our time together. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, we read this. But these things are written, all right, so all of John's gospel, they're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John writes his gospel to convince the reader of the deity of Christ. He he wants us to see, even from the start, 
that Jesus is God. He, he's not an unbiased biographer here. He is fully convinced of the deity of Christ, that Jesus is who he claims to be, and he wants his reader to see this because he knows that there is life only in Christ, and so he wants us to believe in him. He wants us to be saved. That's his purpose. Every part and every parcel of this book has this end in mind. It is the goal of seeing Christ. Thusly, John begins his book in this fashion. He hits the ground running so that we can see as soon as possible that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in Him, we may have life in His name. That's His purpose. That's His purpose in beginning as He does. So look back at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So much packed into just so so few words. And he begins with a statement that's, that, that sounds familiar to us, right? In the beginning, it calls to mind the, the, the creation account, does it not? That Genesis, the, the Bible itself, and in the book of Genesis specifically, begins with the words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. However, there's a, there's a difference between these two statements. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1, John predates. That's what I mean. Before there is a creation, before the world comes into existence, the Word is there. The Word was there. The Word is eternal. He was there before Creation was even formed, so outside of all of creation stands the Word. In the beginning was the Word. But he's, he's not alone, though. And the Word was with God. He is alongside of God. He's present and God is present. There's a, there's a distinction between the two. Do you see that? The Word was with God, and yet the Word was God. So thus far, John has, has told us that the, the Word is eternal, that before there was a beginning, the Word was there, that He was there alongside of God, and that He Himself is God. And this is one of the, the clearest depictions of the Trinity that we have in the pages of Scripture. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is a, is a difficult doctrine because it's, it, it's deeper, it's wider, it's more majestic than anything we can fully comprehend as finite creatures. But, but what's important to, to see and to understand is that the Trinity is not irrational. It's not illogical. It's not a contradiction. Three persons, one essence. We can't get our mind wrapped around this. But it's true. That God is triune is not a contradiction. In fact, 
what would you what would you expect of the God who created everything? If we could understand God fully, then he's not God. However, simply put, the doctrine of the Trinity, it can't be illustrated well, but the doctrine of the Trinity can be summarized in four sentences. Four sentences. So what we mean when we say a triune God is that all four of these sentences are equally true, all at the same time, what Moeller calls biblical shorthand. And so what are these sentences? The first, God is one. God is one. Secondly, the Father is God. Thirdly, the Son is God. Fourthly, the Spirit is God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and God is one. All four of these sentences are true, and this is what Christians mean when they speak of the Trinity. And what we'll see is in the first verse of John chapter 1, three of these four sentences are present. And the fourth will be described later on in the book. But why, why the mention of the word? Why that description? Why not say son? Why not say Jesus? Why not say Christ? Why say the word? And the reason is it, it's to show the closeness that exists between two persons in the Godhead. It's to show the closeness of the two persons. Calvin notes it like this. He says, just as men's speech, so just as men's speech is called the expression of his thoughts, so we speak what's in our heads, so it is not inappropriate to say that God expresses himself to us by his speech or word. So the, the word of God, the Son of God is the expression of the Father. Did we not hear a few weeks ago at the beginning of the series in Hebrews that God spoke finally and fully by His Son? That the final revelation of God that God spoke was the Son? That the Son Himself is the spoken Word of God. And He is, according to, to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So the, the very thoughts of the Father expressed is the description given to the Son in this passage called the Word. So the baby that was born in Bethlehem is the word of God. Though he, though he took flesh 2,000 years ago, the son is eternal. He was in the beginning before there was a beginning. He was with God and he is God. And this should stir in us a, a praise, a worshipful spirit throughout the entirety of the, the Christmas season. Because this tiny baby is not just an ordinary baby, but the Word of God. But not only was he 
with God in the beginning. He is himself the source of the beginning. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So John makes this, this statement in this verse. He makes a statement in two different ways. He establishes it in the positive sense, and then he establishes the same principle in the negative sense. The same point is present in both, that namely that the word of God that we learned about in verses 1 and 2 is the creator of all. That's his point. All things were made through him from the biggest to the smallest. Every single thing that exists, exists because God created it. Because the word created it. From the sun and the stars to the cell and the atom. From whales to roses. From grapes to the sand on the beach. Everything exists because the word of God made them. Think back to the the story in in Genesis chapter 1. How does God create the universe and all that is within it? It's by his word. Is it not? And Jesus plays a direct role in creation. The word was creating as the expression of the Father. The Father is, is present. The word is present. And the Spirit is present. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So our triune God is present, working in the creation account. But not only did, did the Word create everything, but nothing was made without Him. John is going at lengths to eliminate any other source of creation. Right? The Son, the Word, was not the first created being, and so He's above everything else. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't by, by one explosion. Everything that exists, exists because the Word was creating. He created it all, and according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, again, He upholds the universe By the word of his power. So what does that mean for for now? It means that you exist and have breath in your lungs because Jesus allows you to. We spend so much time and, and money during the Christmas season and often forget that the baby that we're celebrating is the source of all the materials that we purchase. Every gift that you buy That gift exists because Jesus created it. And worse yet, we we far too seldom give him the praise and the thanks for it. This is the the first Sunday since Thanksgiving, which means that in between Thanksgiving on Thursday and today on Sunday, many of you participated in the test of endurance, test of cardio, test of strength of will, is commonly known as Black Friday. It's interesting to me that, that Black Friday isn't really even on Friday anymore. Has anyone noticed that? That if you if you go to the store like Friday morning or even Friday afternoon, it's almost as if Black Friday's already happened. Like everything's kind of mellowed out because they've moved it 
for whatever reason back to Thanksgiving. But we spend, we spend time, we spend energy looking for that perfect present, the, the one that that, that person will, will just love, whether it's your husband, your wife, your kids, significant other. We spend money like we have too much of it. All the while, we, we rarely give a glance to Christ. But we have, an, we have an answer prepared for this, right? We have that Facebook post ready ready to go as soon as we get home. Don't forget, Jesus is the reason for the season. Bam, cover it all. Got my bases covered. But do we stop and think that there would be no reason, there would be no season, there would be no life or breath or anything else apart from Christ? This baby that was born is the maker of all. All things were made through him, without him. There was nothing made that was made. You owe your existence to him. We cannot get so caught up in the giving of gifts that we miss the maker who gave himself for us. Don't exchange for the glory, the glory of God and the face of Christ for trinkets and toys that will not last. Are nice gifts wrong? No. Is buying gifts for others wrong? Absolutely not. But it can become sinful if what you are seeking to find satisfaction in is in those gifts, is in those trinkets, those, those toys. You were made by Christ for and you will only find satisfaction in Him. Gifts at Christmas won't do it. You will not be satisfied until you rest in Christ. Look back down to your, your passage. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not only is the baby born at Christmas, the word of God, co-eternal with God himself and is God, creator of all, but he is the source of life. Do you remember John's, John's purpose statement in chapter 20 that we referenced early? He wrote so that so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in His name. We already, we already heard that Jesus is the source of life in the physical sense. Yes, He is the Creator, but this is deeper. And verse 4 tells us why. In Him was life. This is eternal life. Life, eternal life. Do you, this is the, the this is the eternal life mentioned in John three sixteen. Right, that those who believe in Him would not perish, but have what? Have eternal life. This is the life that Jesus speaks of at the the grave of Lazarus in John chapter eleven when he when he says, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though." He die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Eternal life is found in Him alone. And if it's found only in Him, then it's not found anywhere outside of Him. This is an unpopular teaching in today's culture. The exclusivity of the gospel, that salvation, reconciliation to God is found only in Christ. It's only in Jesus. Because in Him is life. And the life was the light of men. The light of men. We, we learn later on in, in verse 10 of chapter 1 that his people were blind to the light. He was made, oh, excuse me, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. They rejected his light. They were blind to his light. John chapter 3 verse 19 says, and in this is judgment. The light has come into the world Christ has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is all of us apart from Christ. Apart from life in Christ, we are lovers of darkness rather than lovers of light. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul makes the same argument when he writes, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded. So there's a, a connection then between life in Christ, having eternal life, and seeing the true light of Christ. Because it's possible, right, to, to be around the light of Christ and yet not to have eternal life. Do you remember how, uh, how Judas turned out? You remember the, the story of Judas, that he was traveling with Jesus? He was part of the twelve, and yet he betrayed him. He was around the light constantly, <laughs> and yet he did not have life. He remained in darkness. So God help us not to think that just because we show up to church, that we have life. That we've seen the light of Christ. Yet this is why Christ came. He came to open the eyes of the blind, both in the, the physical sense, right? He did heal individuals and give them back their sight. But in a, a spiritual sense, we were living in darkness and the light came. The word came to bring the light. Christ came to redeem us out of our darkness. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, living in this darkness, content to remain in this darkness, loving this darkness. And Christ made us alive. So Christ comes to give us both light and life. And in this is our salvation. Our hope rests in this. But why do, we, why do we have hope in the Christmas season? Because of verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light of Christ continues to shine in the dark world. 
darkness has not overcome it. It tried its very best, and it failed. It failed. Have you ever, you ever started watching a, a movie, and you've already read the book? Right, so, so you're watching the movie, and, but you know how it's going to end. Like for instance, uh, you know that, that Frodo is going to get the ring to Mount Doom and save Middle-earth before you watch even the first movie. And sorry if that's a spoiler, but the books came out in, what, the 50s and 60s, and the movies came out in the early 2000s. So, it's a spoiler, I'm sorry. But you can, you can watch difficult portions of a movie when you've already read the book because you know that the struggle that the, the hero is going to go through is ultimately going to work out. You, you know how it ends. He's going to get the prize. He's going to arrive. He's going to save the day. And so in the, in the same way, John is writing the prologue, which we just read, from hindsight. So he has already witnessed what took place in the book. He has already witnessed Jesus go through ministry. He has already seen him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has already watched as he was nailed to the cross and lifted up. He has seen the spear go through his Side. He has seen him placed in the grave, and he has been a witness of the resurrected Savior. So he writes verse 5, knowing that the darkness has tried to overcome and is soundly defeated. So he's not writing this like, I hope this works out. He's writing this knowing that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. The light shines and will continue to shine into eternity. So what does, that, what does this mean for us? It means, first, if you're, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, that today is the day to believe in Him. That He lived the sinless life, that he died, that he came with the purpose of redeeming. He died in our place and he rose again. And the promise of Scripture is that those who believe in him will have life. We will have life. So if you're here today, I invite you to grab a hold of this promise, to believe in Christ today. Secondly, we can stand for Christ in a dark and hostile culture because we know that the darkness has not and will not and cannot overcome the light. You're able to, to have that, that awkward conversation with a family member because you know that the darkness cannot overcome the light. You're able to, to not engage with the, the crude, joking at the office, the sinful conversations, because you know that the darkness cannot overcome the light. As Christians, we wage war, we fight, not from a position of, I hope we win, but we have already won. And so let's finish. Let's fight. Because we've already won the battle. The war is over. And so we celebrate this first Sunday in Advent because of this reality. Because this word who was in the beginning with God, 
is God. He's the creator of all. In him is life and light. Took on flesh. John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. So we celebrate the Christmas season. Not because a, a simple baby was born. But because God came down to rescue and to redeem that this wasn't an ordinary baby. This was the Word made flesh. And by the grace of God, may we not spend this season focused on what is temporal, like the world that remains in darkness, but be focused on Christ, the Word of God, born, died, rose again for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful, wonderful truth that the word became flesh in order to redeem us. Where our hope is in you, we don't have any hope of meriting salvation. We can't earn it on our own. Our hope rests solely in the word made flesh to redeem us out of darkness and bringing us, to transfer us from the, the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God, as you say in Colossians. So may that be our hope. May this season be filled with worship, as you rightly deserve. And for your son's beautiful name that I pray. Amen.